Well, good morning. Happy Saturday and welcome to the Daily Bible Wrap-Up where I go through my notes for the readings from Nikki Gumbel's reading plan for 2023 where you can read the entire Bible in one year. And one of the things I like about this plan, as I've mentioned before, but if you're relatively new to the podcast, I like the plan because it bounces between Old and New Testament with starting off with something from Proverbs or from the Psalms. So it's an interesting way to approach it as opposed to the chronological straight through. It's not to say that next year I might do chronological reading, but we'll see. I'm back here in Studio 2A, and I realized that I left my notebook in Studio 1A. So I had to do my notes on a piece of paper, which I've done before, which is okay, because then I take that and put it back kind of put it in the book kind of bothers my OCD a little bit, but it's okay. It works. It's all about continuing with the discipline of reading every day, even if things aren't quite the way that you're used to or wanting it because God wants you to continue to be in his word. It helps focus the day. So let's go ahead and start. We're in Proverbs 12, verse 18, and I love this statement here, and this kind of got me on a tangent, but it begins with, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Now, to me, this illustrates what's wrong in American politics today. Too many throw out snarky sound bites instead of trying to initiate real conversation. I tried on social media to do just that, to try to initiate real conversation, particularly when things started to get really stressful around 19 and 20 with COVID and the election. But as time went on, the snarkiness just seemed to get deeper and meaner until eventually I had to disconnect from social media for a little bit, which, by the way, is a good thing to do on occasion. And then when I reconnected, I had a new force, a new decision on how I was going to use it. And part of it was that I was going to eliminate from my feeds those who were constantly negative and snarky. Even if I agreed with their views, I didn't agree with the way that they presented it. There is a difference. I just didn't want to be brought down by that level of wickedness anymore. It's like... Wise folks, they're going to try to seek out the truth, wherever that truth comes from. Truth is truth, not snark. Anyway, one other quote from that psalm, or that proverb, rather, that um, I think supports this as well, too. The wise don't make a show of their knowledge, but fools broadcast their foolishness during all this time as well, too. The snarkiness was, I think, fueled with narcissism, and I just got, I was just over people saying that because of their position or what have you, that anybody else's um, view was not relevant. Like, you couldn't have a view on COVID unless you were a credentialed physician or researcher, and that's ridiculous. Everybody can have a view. 
We go over to the New Testament. We're in John 11 right now, verse 45. The Pharisees are concerned that if belief in Jesus continues to increase, the Roman army will destroy the temple and the nation. But one, the high priest at the time, Saephas, I think I've got that correct. If not, oh well, uh, said that that wasn't correct, that it would be better for one man to die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. See, he had prophesied that Jesus would die for the entire nation and unite the children of God scattered around the world. Now, this danger, though, caused Jesus to end his public ministry in Jerusalem. He left. The Passover was approaching and people were looking for him. Now, some were wanting to hear his words and some wanted to arrest him. And then in John 12 begins now, it is six days before Passover and Jesus was in Bethany at the time. He was at the home of Lazarus. You remember Lazarus, of course, having dinner in Jesus' honor with Martha and Mary. This is where Mary anointed Jesus' feet with that really expensive perfume and a lot of it, remember? Well, this, according to John, this angered Judas. Yes, that Judas. Apparently, Judas was... He only thought of money. And an interesting tidbit that if I knew this, I forgot about it. He was in charge of the disciples' money and often stole some for himself. It's that last part that I had forgotten. I don't think John liked Judas too much, particularly after what Judas did. The leading priest by now also wanted to kill Lazarus because it was, quote, because of him, it's Lazarus, that many of the people had deserted them, the leading priests, and believed in Jesus. A lot of jealousy going on there, too. I think they think that the leading priests are afraid, as can be seen in this passage, they're afraid of losing power and influence. Their, their goal is not to help the people, but to help themselves. Sound familiar? See, when we see stories like this, it helps open our eyes to things that are going on around us today. Nothing is new. I mean, technology might be different, and because of technology, maybe we can do other things, but the general condition of the human heart and the temptations it faces and its reactions really aren't different from 2,000 years ago. Or longer, because we go now to Old Testament, which is longer than 2,000 years ago. We're in 1 Samuel 5. So the Philistines, remember, they have the ark now. They have won the ark in battle, and they placed it in the temple of Dagon, which sounds like a Klingon lord. But the next morning, the statue of Dagon had fallen face down in front of the ark. Well, you know, people figured, well... Maybe when they brought the ark and they dislodged the statue or something. I'm that's Greg talking, and maybe uh, it's not that big of a deal. We'll just put the statue back up. But the next day, the same thing had happened, except for that at this point in time, Dagon's head and hands had separated from the statue; they broke off. And then a plague of tumors struck. So I see a tumor as being a mass, right? That would be the way I interpret it. 
Well, the people decided that this was the curse of the Ark, so they moved the Ark to Gath. It's like, we don't want this thing here. Let's put it somewhere else. Then the plague of tumors followed, so they moved it to Ekron. And the people of Ekron, they begged for it to go back to the Israelites because they saw what it had done, the presence of the Ark had done to the other areas. And they're like, we don't want this thing. So as we pick up in 1 Samuel 6, after seven months, the Philistines returned the ark along with the guilt offerings of gold rats and gold tumors. I don't know what a gold tumor is. If a tumor is a mass, are these just like gold nuggets or something? I suppose I could look that up online or ask chat GPT, but no, I didn't do that. The people of Beth Shemesh received the ark with joy and thanksgiving. But 70 died. And why did they die? Because they looked into the ark. They apparently had not seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, which you opened up the ark and you look inside, you know that's a bad thing. Yes, I know I'm putting the cart before the horse and putting fiction in front of it. But you know, a lot of times the reason why I bring up Raiders of the Lost Ark is because that's actually how I was introduced to the Ark. Um, and it was only sometime later, well, the first time I think like reading the Bible, that I, I made the connection. I'm like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is, this is what Indiana Jones was chasing after. And ironically, that promoted more interest in me because I'm like, well, okay, Maybe maybe I'll understand the movie a little bit more if I understand what this arc thing is. So in that sense, it was it was a good thing. So um, the folks of Beth Shemesh didn't want to keep the ark anymore, though, because I guess they couldn't stop the temptation of wanting to look inside the ark. So they moved the ark to Kiriath Jerim. It's another one of those long ones that are difficult to pronounce. Hopefully I get it right. And we pick up in 1 Samuel 7 that the ark stayed there. Here's a transition statement. For 20 years. By this time, Samuel is an adult. I mean, you're, you're inferring that because when we last saw him a few chapters ago, he was still a child in the temple. And now it's 20 years later. So he's got to be mid-late 20s at this point in time at minimum. And Samuel tells the people that they must get rid of all foreign gods and images of Ashtoreth. I'm guessing that Ashtoreth is one of those foreign gods. And that they must worship only the Lord. And Samuel prayed for the people at Mizpah. And this is where he became Israel's judge. The Philistines attacked, but Israel was victorious. And a quote, throughout Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines. So in essence, we're told that with Samuel as judge, the threat from the Philistines was essentially neutralized. And we are led to also understand that that's because Samuel turned the people back to the Lord. And that's it for today. I hope you have a great Saturday, a great weekend. And live today as if the king is coming back today. Mm -hmm.